0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Patrick. I'm one of the volunteers here at Venture Church, and every once in a while I get the opportunity to preach. Uh, But something is happening today that hasn't happened for a very long time, is that is that I got to not only come in and fill in and preach, but I got to pick the series and the sermon and the topic and the ideas for not just this week, but this week and next week which I didn't think about as being such a big deal until on the way here this morning, my wife is like, hey, did you realize that you just did all this? And I'm like, oh, thanks for that now. Let's appreciate it. Uh, but, I, but I'm excited. Uh, I have done some, some digging, some research, some thought. And what I want to share with you over these couple of weeks is the, the ultimate guide to a better Christmas. Um, I've put a lot of Thought and effort and energy and research into this. I figured it all out. I know exactly what you need to do to make your Christmas better. Whether your Christmases are terrible or your Christmases are amazing, I believe the ideas that I'm gonna share with you over the next two weeks will make them better. And I'm not actually all that list of stuff that you had to silently watch just a moment ago. It's nothing to do with it. I, I'm not gonna teach you how to do any of that. Because some of it I don't know myself. Um, but it's amazing as I, I look out in, in the world today. And I, you flip on a TV or you jump on your streaming service or you get on YouTube. Wherever you go, what you get inundated with is that everybody wants this to be the best Christmas ever. Everybody wants to tell you exactly what you've got to do to have the best Christmas ever. To have the great Christmas. To have a wonderful winter time. And it's, it's crazy because as you get into it, they, they're telling us, if you just watch this movie or this cartoon or this TV show, if you just uh, eat this cookie or this pie or this cake or this turkey, if you just buy this gadget or toy or book or knickknack or thing, that the people that you love will be happy, and you will be happy, and Christmas will be saved. You know, it's, it's fun as you watch Christmas movies. You know, they, they all try to have that moral of that it's not actually about this stuff. But if you actually break it down and look at it, and I'm gonna, I did percent, percent research about this. If you break it up and look at it, uh, what you find... Let me do that. Maybe that'll stop that noise. All right. What you find is that about 90% of the runtime of Christmas movies is telling you that if Santa doesn't get the toys there on time, if you don't have the right stuff, if you didn't buy the right present, if you didn't do the right thing, that Christmas is ruined. And then they take the last 5 or 10% of the movie to to try and flip that and remind you. But they spend most of their time telling you, this is what it is. And so if you're like me and you flip through stuff and you don't always finish, you only ever get the part of Christmas is going to be ruined if Santa doesn't show up. But if you get that last 5%, you realize it's about the people. But I'm gonna flip that even a little bit more because the ultimate guide to a better Christmas is that it's not about any of that. It's not about the toys. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the presents. It's not even about the people. It's not even about the people. The guide to a better Christmas is in a mindset. It's in It's in your heart and that's what i want to talk about this week and next week because having a better christmas is not about knowing how to carve a turkey it is not knowing about how to properly decorate your christmas tree you put the lights on first it's not about being able to create a masterpiece of light and sound in your in your yard having a better Christmas is about something different and the mindset that I want to talk about this week the mindset that I want to to instill in us this first thing is that Christmas to be better needs to be about worship Christmas needs to be about worship and and Inevitably, when most people hear that word worship, we think about like what Aaron's here ready right, to go do and be a worship leader up in New Bern and to, to be able to lead everybody in singing and do all of that and don't get me wrong, I believe that singing Christmas carols is absolutely worship, and I know that some of you disagree with me and you hate Christmas carols, but I love them. I get really excited about them, and I find all the different versions. Uh, Like, my kids get frustrated because I'll I'll have, like, five different God rest you merry gentlemen's in a row, be like, oh, we'll listen to this one, and then we'll listen to this one, and this one, and it'll be great, and uh, you should do that. Like, try it. You'll get so much more out of it. Um, But it's not just about singing worship. Worship is about something that comes from within. It's about that, that mindset and that heart set where you, you focus on God for a specific reason in a specific way, and when you do that, it's worship. And I believe that if we can learn to make moments during the hustle and bustle of this season to be intentionally worshipful, that we will have a better Christmas, So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about worship and how to worship and ways to worship. And I thought it would be fun if we went back in time to the very first Christmas and saw how the people that were there worshipped. Because I think that we can learn a lot from those people. And I want to start with the guy that's not normally the star of the show. So I put him first in my list. And that is our man, Joseph. Joseph, Uh, what a cool dude Joseph was. Uh, We're gonna see that he responds to the Lord in a very specific way, in a a very great way. Uh, Do I need to switch? Check, all right. Uh, Response to the Lord in, in a very uh, specific and, and great way. Uh, and, and I just want to dig into the Bible and see exactly what Joseph does. Um, we're going to go in Matthew chapter 1. And so if you've got a Bible with you, you can ch- turn there. We're going to be starting at verse 18. If you don't have a Bible but would like one, there's a little uh, like trellis stand over here that you can grab a Bible off of. And uh, you can keep that as a Christmas present from me. Uh, that's yours you can take it home if you need a good readable version of the Bible you can look it up on your phone or it's also going to be on the screen but we're going to jump right in Matthew chapter 1 starting at verse 18 this is one of the four gospels which is the stories of the life of Jesus and this is what Matthew says he says this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, But the Lord, uh, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. So here's what we're going to see, Joseph worshipped in a very meaningful way, Joseph worshipped through obedience. He simply did what the Lord God commanded him to do through the angel. You know, a lot of us have heard this Christmas story uh, over and over again. Some of you like me for decades have heard this Christmas story, and we're like, Yeah, Joseph took Mary as his wife. I mean, they were already engaged, they were gonna do the thing. He just he did that. But we don't think about it of the big deal that it really is. So here's what I want you to do for a second. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. No, no longer is this some marriage randomly in the middle of nowhere in, in Israel in the first century, but it's you as Joseph. Can you can you get that? Can you get in that mind space? Can you get in that headset? You you are are Joseph and you come home one day and you find out that you're betrothed. And the way that they did that back then was cool because they would be like, hey, we're gonna get married and that was a contract and it was done. You were essentially married, but then the husband would go and build onto his family's house and then you would move in there and until the house was built, you didn't stay together. And then once you did, then it would finally be marriage. And so that's why you had to divorce her even though they were only betrothed. Fun little fact, all right. So you're there and you're, this is your, your fiance. This is your, you're essentially your wife. And you show up, and she is pregnant. I mean, like, pregnant, pregnant. Like, three or four months pregnant. And you look at her, and you're like, that wasn't me. <laughs> like, get in that headspace of Joseph. That's what, I mean, that's what he's going through. He's like, what am I supposed to do here? But, but Joseph likes Mary. Joseph loves Mary. Joseph wanted to be with Mary. But he also knew that everybody could do the math. Mary has been out of town for four months visiting her cousins, people are going to be able to do math. And they're going to know that something happened that it wasn't Joseph. They're going to know, and this is going to put a stain on their whole life and their whole relationship with everybody around because that wasn't a thing that happened in this time frame. And so Joseph starts thinking, and he talks to his friends, and he talks to his family, and they're like, all right, here's what you do. You just got to let her go. You has got to get rid of her, just dump her, just you know, cut her loose. And he's like, maybe, yeah. And he goes home and he takes a nap or he goes to sleep at night. I, I don't, I'm not sure how he was sleeping, but he falls asleep. And in his sleep, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, it's going to be okay. In fact, not only is it going to be okay, it's going to be amazing. Go ahead and take Mary as your wife. And so Joseph gets up. gets up and he just goes and takes Mary home to be his wife. No more questions. From him. I bet everybody around him was like, dude, what are you doing? We talked about this. We had a plan. We figured it out. And you know, Satan doesn't want this to happen, so he's whispering in his ear, Joseph, I mean, for real, do you really think that dream was real? Like, what are you doing? But Joseph believed and obeyed. And that is worship. At the core of it, it is worship. To be able to say, Lord, I trust you in this enough that even though the situation looks ridiculous, even though I don't understand how you're gonna resolve this, even though this might mean pain for me at some point, I trust you enough that I'm gonna obey and I'm gonna do what you've asked me to do. And because of his obedience... The heavenly father used Joseph to be the earthly father of his one and only son. Wow. So how do we do that? How do we worship the Lord through obedience? Are you doing that? Are you living out the commands that, that God has given us? Now there's some generic commands like Jesus is uh, as He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. He says, go into all the world and preach and teach and baptize and that's for everybody we've all got that command to go and to do that are, are, are you heeding that command are you living out your life in a way that it shines the light of God into the world are you preaching and teaching and baptizing Are you bringing other people into the saving knowledge? of Jesus, that's obedience there. But it's more than that because there's also personal things that God wants for you in your life. There's things that he's calling you to. There's things that he's convicting you of constantly. Are you listening to those? When God calls you to go do ministry or maybe to go to another country and do ministry, Or maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe he's calling you to spend some more time over at Nourish NC packing up boxes or spend some time downtown talking to those people that are living on the street. Maybe it's to walk across the street to your neighbor who's hurting. And God's calling you and asking you. Friends, if you want your Christmas to be better, Find out those calls on your life and hear them and obey them. I'm going to tell you a little secret. That's not just going to make your Christmas better. That'll make your whole life better. Obey the Lord in the things that you understand. That's easy. Somebody once said to me that uh, I didn't feel like anybody ever got called to do anything they didn't already want to do. And I'm going to tell you that's not true. You're gonna find times that God's gonna call you to do stuff that you're like, why? And it's okay to ask why as long as you follow through. At our house, we got a rule. We said, uh, when mom and dad tell you to do something, first you start doing it and then you ask why. Like, you are free to ask why as soon as you start complying. Like, do what I told you to do and then I'll tell you why I told you if you care. And sometimes the answer would be because. And, and that's going to be with God, too. Sometimes the answer is because, but when we can do that, when we can jump in and obey God, even in the things we don't fully understand, it'll have an effect on our Christmas. It'll have effect on our life, and it'll effect, have a, eternal effects on not just us, but the people around us. Maybe right now, though, you're not sensing a, a big, major change in your life that needs to happen. That God's not calling you to do something huge. He's not saying, hey, go to Africa and go and be a missionary in the field for the rest of your life and never talk to people in America again. That's not. That might not be what he wants for you. It might be, and maybe this is your call right now. Reminder, that that's what you've been thinking, and like God's saying, go do it. But maybe it's just... A little change. Maybe it's just to to make a little bit better choice, to choose the better over the good and all the things that you're doing. Maybe it's to stop doing that thing that you keep holding on to and rationalizing. That sin that's preventing you from truly worshiping. And you got to obey. So that's how Joseph worshipped. He worshipped through obedience. What about Mary? How did, how did Mary worship at that first Christmas? Let's, we're going to turn this time to Luke and read this familiar Christmas story here. Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Cool dude. He likes to follow God. Uh, a descendant of David. The virgin's name... Was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. As we read through this account, what we find is that Mary worshipped through submission. Mary worshipped through submission. She submitted herself to the Lord's will. Now, some of you are looking at me going, but Patrick, aren't obedience and submission the same thing? And to that I say, Uh, no. All right, we'll move on. Uh, No, uh, no, for real, I'm sorry, Susan, I will tell you why. Ashley told me I had to. Um, Obedience and submission are very similar. Obedience and submission are very closely related and oftentimes look alike, but there's something very different about them. And here's the difference. Obedience is an outward action. Submission is an inward attitude. Obedience is just doing what you're told to do. That's what we're told Joseph did. Joseph heard the angel. The angel said, go Mary, uh, go take Mary home and marry her. And he said, cool, got it, done, I'm in. But Mary acted differently. She voluntarily gave of herself. See, submission is voluntarily placing your will under the will of someone else. Let me see if I can illustrate the difference for you here. Um, imagine if you can... Uh, a rapscallion of a young man uh, I, I'd say in the 8-9 year old range, no, no he's younger than that, 5 or 6 year old range, cognizant enough to do the things, to know what he's doing, should, that she, he should be good enough to do the things but he's got a mouth on him and he likes to say things and one day he pushes his mom too far and she says go sit in the corner go and sit in the corner until I tell you to get up and this young man is obedient He goes and he sits in the corner with a scowl on his face, mumbling under his breath. Enough that mom comes by and says, what did you say? And the young man looks up and says, I said I am sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) That is the difference between obedience and submission. Mary wasn't sitting down on the outside and standing up on the inside. She says, Let me sit down on the inside first and see what that's like. That is the difference. Mary worshiped the Lord by submitting her will to the will of the Father. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. She knew and she believed that God's will is best. Even in what could be a very bad circumstance, things were not the way that she would have planned them. This is not how she sat down in her journal and wrote out, "This is what I want my life to be." No, it's not. She she was looking at this. She's like, "Oh my gosh, what is? What do you want? All right, no, you're good. I'm here. Let it be to me as you have said." And this was going to be a very bad circumstance for her, because we know how you get pregnant. And when you do that outside of marriage in the first century, the penalty for that was death. They would find you, they would take you, they would drag you outside the city, and they would throw rocks at you until you died. That's what you got for adultery in the first century in in Jerusalem, or in in Israel. And knowing this, knowing that this is how it's going to be perceived, Mary said, let it be to me as you have said. She said, I trust you. But you know what? Even if Joseph was able to do this thing quietly and divorce her quietly, she was still risking losing her future husband, losing her friends, her family. Everyone would disown her, would ostracize her, would let her go if this didn't work out good. This was a difficult choice to make for Mary. But she said, I trust the Lord. She said, I believe that if I willingly submit to God's will, then it's going to be all right. Do you ever feel like it's hard to submit to God's will? That you get in your brain, your own head, and you think, I I got this. I know what's right. I know what's best. I know what that looks like. And I don't want that for my life. I don't believe that's going to be good. I think I know better. And we find ourselves not, not actually submitting to him, but just going through the motions. We're, we're doing the things, we're checking the boxes, we're, we're looking at the list of commands, saying, Yeah, but I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. No, I good, I'm good. I don't, it's fine, I don't do that other thing because I'm doing all these all these things. But do you willfully voluntarily place yourself in a position where God is actually the king? Do you submit? And some of us right now are shaking our head going, oh man, submission, man, that's hard because it's gotten such a negative connotation. Like we think about being submissive as as being a doormat, as being someone that anyone can just walk all over, as being someone that doesn't have a will of their own or a thought of their own, being someone that is weak. Let me tell you about someone that was submissive. He was submissive to his father, and he came down from the glories of heaven and lived on this mud ball that we call home, and he hurt. And he was hungry and he was tired and he was cold and he was hot and he was sweaty and he was scratched up and I'm sure he got in some thorns and maybe got some poison ivy. I I don't know, but he lived life as a human being even to the point of being put to death in a horrific and gruesome fashion. Voluntarily. He went through all of that where at any moment he had the power to say now I'm done this is enough but he said not my will but your will be done as he sat and prayed to not do this thing to not go through this that there's got to be another way friends that's not weakness that is strength strength Noah, when he was building that giant boat to put all the animals on and everybody for a hundred years, is like, dude, what are you thinking? He submitted, and that was strength. Moses, as he was called to go back to the place where he was wanted for murder that he had run away from, he submitted, and that was strength. And here we see Mary. This poor, young, frightened Mary who sees a messenger of God. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I don't know what Mary was thinking right then. But I do know that we can emulate it. That we can trust God enough To say, no, I trust you, I believe in you, and I know that you have what's right for me, even when we don't understand the situation. I don't know what Mary knew, except that she knew that God was good all the time. And so Joseph worshiped through obedience, Mary worshiped through submission. Want to look at one more group of people real quick, and that is the Magi, or or the Wise Men, if you prefer. Uh, I I just like Magi; it feels more magical. Um, Like they were looking at crystal balls to find the stars. Like, oh, there! Now we gotta go. But they came and they worshipped. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter two. Uh, verses 1 and 2 to begin with. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when they say this to Herod, Herod freaks out. Hold on. Go back uh, for a second. Uh, Herod freaks out. He's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because already the Roman Empire has come in and basically made King Herod just a figurehead. Already he's losing power, and then these guys that look awesome, according to the nativity set I had when I was little, uh, come up and are like, hey, by the way, a new king has been born. We want to go and anoint him and worship him. And Herod's like, oh, oh, when you find him, tell me where he is. They think, oh, cool, awesome. Angel lets them know, hey, Herod wants to come kill the baby, so don't tell him. So they don't, but that's all right. We'll go to verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, they, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. What I want to see that happened with the Magi, with the wise men, was that they worshiped through sacrifice. And they had to sacrifice a great deal to come and worship the Lord. Uh, The text doesn't tell us how long it was that they journeyed, but it was probably a number of months that they were traveling. Uh, They didn't arrive to worship uh, the Lord with Mary and Joseph until they were already in a house. They were out of the stable. They were there. It wasn't the night that Jesus was born that they showed up. Just to be clear. I know your nativity scenes got them there. It wasn't that night. It was later. You could set them on a different mantle and have them show up show up later it'll be great Um, but they came they did come and it took them time to get there now they traveled from afar that's all we know Uh, and when they traveled they traveled by donkey and camel I'm gonna believe camel because again nativity scenes that's where I am they came up on a camel now this is what they did they sacrificed time they worship through the sacrifice of time because i don't know how long it would take to ride a camel from afar to jerusalem but it's not going to be fun, comfortable it's going to take a while it's going to take probably months and months of travel now we don't ride camels and donkeys anymore we get to ride in nice cars with air conditioning or heaters depending on where you're going and what time of year it is and and radios and family and we can stop and we can get snacks along the way and it's awesome my, my in-laws live like five hours away and I'm gonna tell you what I hate it not going not my in-laws I love them they're great it's the dry like this oh my gosh oh months that they sacrificed just to come and meet the new king I don't know how we would be able to do that with the way that we live in our lives but these guys worship by sacrificing their time time they could have spent apparently being very comfortable in their wealth and in their kingdoms are we worshiping by sacrificing our time are we setting time aside to be intentionally in the presence of the Lord even even five minutes a day will make your Christmas better even that verse of a day that pops up in the Bible app is something. But intentionally set aside time, sacrifice it, make, make it a time. Don't say, if I have time, make it a time to worship the Lord. And then the wise men also sacrifice not just their time, but of their treasures. Uh, Matthew 2.11 says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. They carved out the time to do all that traveling and they brought presents with them. They gave them valuable gifts. Gifts that actually God needed them to give him to go on this journey to get away from Herod so that Jesus wouldn't be killed and to live for a couple of years down in Egypt. But they used their treasures to worship this newborn king. Friends, I'm going to tell you, there's no better use of your money than to worship with it. So, do that. But know that it's not because God needs your stuff. God doesn't need you to give him your stuff. If we want to be honest, God already owns all your stuff. Everything is his already. But he wants you to be willing to to say, this person's on my heart, let me help them out. He wants you to be willing to say, this this place needs a little bit extra resources that I've got, that I can dig into, that I can sacrifice from. So do that. Do that. Glorify God with your possessions and with your time. And not just with your extra, but make it sacrificial. If you want to have a better Christmas, have a Christmas of worship. Have a Christmas of obedience and submission and of sacrifice. And that'll make, when you go sit with that family member that always bugs you, and everybody's got one, and my family is typically me, as you sit there with them and they're telling their jokes and they're cutting up and they're doing whatever, think of it as worship. I am here right now, and I'm focused on the King of Kings. As you go and you buy presents for the people that you love to give to them, remember the gift that God gave to us. And think of it as worship. And as you do, moment by moment, worshiping through obedience and submission and sacrifice, you will have a better Christmas and a better life and a better eternity. Pray with me.